David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.56 a.m. It is August the 12th, 2019. This is episode 125 of Bitcoin and, and it's late. It's really late. It's going to get out late today, man. Uh, Various reasons. I won't go into them because there's all manner of shit breaking loose in the world. China is sending troops into Hong Kong. If you haven't heard, that's not going to end well. Nothing about that is going to end well. We've got, oh, what else happened today? Oh, God, the Argentinian peso apparently tanked 25% because uh, the (laughs) president lost the uh, primaries. Uh, so the immediate the immediate response was tank the currency. Um, yeah, I mean you know it's it's um it like I said man it's Monday so strap in for what very well could be a really weird week. Okay, let's just let's get right down to it. <clears throat> Business insiders Will Martin wrote on August the 9th, a Danish bank is offering mortgages at a zero point five percent negative interest rate, meaning it is basically paying people to borrow money. All right. A bank in Denmark is offering borrowers more or borrowers mortgages at a negative interest rate, effectively paying its customers to borrow money for a house purchase. Jasky Bank, Denmark's third largest bank, said this week that <clears throat> customers would now be able to take out a 10-year fixed rate mortgage with an interest rate of zero, negative 0.5% meaning customers will pay back less than the amount they borrowed. To put the negative 0.5% rate in simple terms, if you bought a house for $1 million and paid off your mortgage in full in 10 years, you would pay back only $995,000. It should be noted that even with the negative interest rate, banks often charge fees linked to the borrowing, which means homeowners could still pay back more. Quote, it's another chapter in the history of the mortgage. <laughs> the Chasky Bank housing economist Michael Ho told Danish TV, according to the news website Copenhagen Post, quote, a few months ago, we would have said that this would not be possible. Hmm, I doubt that. We've been seeing this on the horizon for a while, guys. Uh, but we have been surprised time and time again, and this opens up a new opportunity for homeowners Jasky Bank's negative rate is the latest in a series of extremely low interest rate offers from banks to Danish homeowners. According to the local, Nordia Bank, Scandinavia's biggest lender, said it would offer a 20-year fixed-rate mortgage with 0% interest. Bloomberg reported that some Danish lenders were offering 30-year mortgages at a 0.5% rate. It should also be noted that negative rates have been available on short-term mortgage bonds in Denmark since May, according to Bloomberg. They have only just been made directly available to consumers. Quote, it's never been cheaper to borrow. Uh, Lise Nifton, 
Bergman, the chief analyst at Nordia's home finance unit in Denmark, told Bloomberg, it may be or seem counterintuitive for banks to lend out their money at such low rates, but there is a rationale behind it. Oh, goody, let's find it out. Financial markets are in a volatile, uncertain spot right now. Factors include the United States-China trade war, Brexit, and a generalized economic slowdown across the world, and particularly in Europe. Many investors fear a substantial crash in the near future. As such, some banks are willing to lend money at negative rates, accepting a small loss rather than risking a bigger loss by lending money at higher rates that customers cannot meet. Quote, it's an uncomfortable thought that there are investors who are willing to lend money for 30 years and get just a 0.5% in return, Bergman said. It shows how scared investors are of the current situation in the financial markets and that they expect to take a very long time before things improve. And that'll do it for that one. So what do you think, man? I don't see that as good news. I mean, yeah, sure, on the surface, if you're like, you know, a homeowner that's looking to get a loan and they're going to pay you money to, to take a loan. I mean, come on. Of course it sounds good. But the underlying problems that are causing this should scare the living piss out of anybody that's not holding some Bitcoin, right? All right. So, you know, I'm bullish by Bitcoin. That's all I got to say. Okay. Omar Faridi and Aaron Von Wordham have teamed up to write this for Bitcoin magazine. This is also on August the 9th. How the new Erlay protocol could speed up the Bitcoin network. Yeah, we've been kind of kind of jazzed for this one. <clears throat> Bitcoin users are more secure if they use full Bitcoin nodes. And the overall Bitcoin network is healthier if they do too. To encourage this, resource requirements to run a full node should be kept low, including the bandwidth required. Erlay is a new proposal that could help reduce bandwidth requirements. It was developed by University of British Columbia researchers Gleb Namuko, Alexandria Ferdorova, and Ivan, not a hope in hell pronouncing that gentleman's last name, Blockstream engineer Peter Willa, and independent Bitcoin contributor Gregory Maxwell. The proposal recommends an approach that will transmit transaction, ident transaction identifiers more efficiently, thereby reducing the number of messages sent between nodes while still supporting the transmission of new transactions to all nodes. Here's why that is important and how it works. When a new Bitcoin transaction is broadcast, it must be sent to all nodes on Bitcoin's peer-to-peer -peer network. Technically, this happens in two steps. First, after receiving a transaction, a node sends a transaction identifier, the transaction ID, to all of the peers it's connected with, except for the one it got the transaction from. All of these peers then check this transaction ID to see if they've already received the transaction from another peer. If not, they request the whole transaction from the node that sent the transaction ID. Then the process repeats. This node sends the transaction ID to all of its peers. Because nodes share transaction IDs even with peers that have already been sent the transaction, there is a plethora of redundant messages being shared on the Bitcoin network. This redundancy consumes a lot of bandwidth. Notably, 50% of the bandwidth required to run a Bitcoin node is presently used for announcing transactions. Another 45% of bandwidth is needed for relaying the actual transaction body, and 5% is needed for various other messages, like block header information. The early research paper estimates that 44% of all traffic between Bitcoin nodes consists of redundant messages. Operating nodes that require a lot of bandwidth may not be affordable for many users and may pose an impediment for them to run full nodes. 
A related problem is more subtle. Bitcoin security relies in part on the level of connectivity between nodes on the Bitcoin network. If this connectivity is too low, if nodes don't connect with enough peers, it opens the door to eclipse attacks. These are attacks in which the attacker controls many IP addresses and uses them to connect to a particular Bitcoin node. If all that node sees are peers controlled by the same attacker, the attacker could essentially create an alternative Bitcoin blockchain just for that node alone. This opens the door to a number of attacks. In their paper, and the author's names are mentioned, argue that the current connectivity between Bitcoin network nodes is too low to ensure an adequate level of security on the cryptocurrency's blockchain. A similar conclusion was drawn in a paper by researchers Heilman, Kindler, Zohar, and Goldberg from Boston University and Hebrew University MSR Israel. The problem could be solved by increasing connectivity among Bitcoin nodes on the network. However, as it stands now, this would also significantly increase the bandwidth required by each node. Bandwidth usage currently increases linearly if nodes want to connect to more peers. A more efficient relay protocol would help. Enter Erlay. To address the problems associated with Bitcoin's current transaction relay protocol, Nomenko et al. have suggested using Erlay, a new type of transaction dissemination protocol. According to the research they've conducted, Erlay could substantially reduce the amount of bandwidth required by about 40% for maintaining current levels of connectivity between Bitcoin nodes. The Erlay protocol reduces the number of messages passed between Bitcoin nodes using a solution called Minisketch, which was previously proposed by Namuko. Wola and Maxwell. In addition to transaction IDs, Bitcoin nodes share sketches of transactions with one another. This is done in two phases. In the first phase, nodes will, nodes will share new transaction IDs with their peers as usual. However, they will select a maximum of eight peers to share it with, even if they have connections with more peers. In the second phase, nodes instead request a sketch from their peers. Such a sketch contains identifiers for all the transactions that a node has accepted since the last reconciliation, but in compact form. Using the sketches, a node can figure out which transactions it doesn't have that its peer does have. Then it can request only those transactions from those peers that don't appear in their sketch. This approach consumes far less bandwidth than sharing all of the transaction IDs. As an additional benefit, the solution would, in many cases, offer more privacy. Because the transaction IDs are initially not shared with all connected nodes, it gets harder for spy nodes to monitor the network and trace where a particular transaction originated. It should be noted that one of the drawbacks to comparing different sketches and finding missing transactions is that it takes a relatively long time, around two seconds longer, for a transaction to find its way through the entire network. However, the Bitcoin network averages 10-minute block times, which suggests that this approach is worth the trade-off as it could substantially reduce the number of messages that are received by each node. Nomenko intends to draft a Bitcoin improvement proposal proposal for Erlay after application developers, software testers, and researchers review the protocol specifications and effectively approve it by not raising any objections. At present, the Erlay protocol is being reviewed by the Bitcoin community and it might be integrated into the Bitcoin protocol in the foreseeable future. According to its specs, the Erlay prototype consists of only 584 lines of code and does not include any non-compatible changes to the existing Bitcoin protocol. So there you go. I, I'm reading that, that it may not even require a, a, any kind of forking at all. Um, that seems what it means, you know, what it means to me. Further, what it means to me is that it, 
one of my working theses in, in Bitcoin is that worrying about increasing the block size at this point is still should still not be taking any kind of stage center or not because everybody and their dog is looking at this thing. You got more developers that are being trained all the time by people like Jimmy song and, Oh God. And Justin, I can't remember his last name. Um, God, how embarrassing. Cause he's a really cool cat. Uh, and, and more, more developers are, are looking at, at getting trained in Bitcoin and then they go on and, and there's residencies. And I mean, the, the whole developer ecosystem behind this is one that is so strong that it is literally the lifeblood of Bitcoin. I, I, I believe it is the people that are inside the machine of Bitcoin that have, have effectively turned it from a machine to a living organism because reasons. <laughs> Sorry about that one. My point is, is that with, with developments like this, I, I just don't see how it, that it's necessary to have gigantic blocks. I mean, shit, you saw what happened to BSV split into freaking three forks on a 210 megabyte block. I mean, how is that even remotely safe? It, I, it's, well, it's not, but be that as it may, this is the type of development that has been going on. We, we've seen other developments like, you know, like this before that reduce bandwidth, that re- reduce transaction size. Everything's being, re- everything's being reduced. So a one megabyte block, or in our case, I guess a, effectively a two megabyte block, um, is the container is enough because you keep paring down the payload in that container, the container's fine. So as more work is done, substantially reducing the footprint and fingerprints of the transaction sizes, how the, uh, how the, the network communicates with itself as you make those reductions, uh, until you can't reduce that side of it anymore, and I, I don't see where an end to this actually could be, but I'll, I'll, I'll entertain the, the fact that there's like an upper limit on just how much shit can be done this way. Then and only then do you worry about your block size. It, that's my opinion. And I'm not a developer, right? Okay, I admit that. But I don't know, man. It just seems like it's kind of logical to do it this way first. Okay, so that's enough of that. Jimmy Aki is writing for Bitcoin Magazine on the 8th of this month. He says, Czech Republic wants to broaden crypto firm regulation. And I've, I've felt this is, this is a weird flex from, from the Czech Republic. The Czech Republic seems to step up, seems set to step up its oversight of cryptocurrency exchanges with recent reports suggesting that it will try to implement more stringent policies than those of the European union in a pursuit to ensure anti-money laundering compliance. On August the 8th, local news outlet Novini reported that in the light of the fifth anti-money laundering directive, AMLD5, published by the EU, the Czech Republic will not only implement the directive's precepts into its economy, but also step things up a couple of notches. In July 2018, AMLD5 asked that countries extend their regulatory oversight to cryptocurrency exchanges and wallet providers operating within EU borders. The Czech Republic, however, wants to regulate every cryptocurrency-related firm, regardless of whether they actually trade cryptocurrency or not. Most notably, this would impact mining operators like Brains, the company behind Slushpool that is based in Prague. Uh, I 
kind of see an exit there. To start with, regulators will reportedly impose a fine of about $20,000 on all cryptocurrency firms that fail to register their operations with the National Trading Licensing Office. AMLD5 has seen quick adoption across the European Union, but the Czech Republic would not be the first to go above and beyond its recommendations. In February of 2019, for instance, the Crypto Crypto Securities and Exchange Commission released an announcement in a consultation paper calling for the country to transpose AMLD5 and consolidate the regulation of cryptocurrencies within the country's borders. In the announcement, SISEC noted that its SISEC Innovation Hub had received several inquiries from crypto entities which didn't seem to fall within the existing regulatory framework. SISEC advocated for a formalization of AMLD5, adding that some other aspects of crypto activity should be put under AML regulations. These included crypto assets exchange exchanges, transfers of crypto assets, and participation in and provision of financial services related to an issuer's offer and or sale of a crypto asset. So again, I'm not all entirely sure why the Czech Republic of all places is wanting to actually go above and beyond the EU recommendations. Um, And if they do, and it looks like they're going to, it means that, well, the, the Czech Republic would be the, you know, one of the last places on my list, you know, right there neck and neck with uh, the state of New York and the United States to not do business in. I, I, I would have zero problems finding a country that's like, oh, no, we actually want jobs. We actually want to take part of the possibility of a brand new industry that is seeing all manner of growth. This is a signal to me that the pe- these people don't get it. And why you wouldn't want to bring this fabulous wealth of, of you know, brains and balls to your country is beyond my is beyond all comprehension that I have. So I guess we can kiss the Czech Republic goodbye as a place to do business in if we're going to do business with crypt, you know, anything to do with Bitcoin or shit coinery, also known as cryptocurrency. So Goldman Sachs gets bullish on Bitcoin with a price target of 13,971. This is by Jack Martin out of Coin Telegraph. This was a few hours ago. In a note to customers, Goldman Sachs gave a bullish forecast for Bitcoin price shared on Twitter August 11th. The note suggests a short-term target of 13,971. And here's where it gets twitchy. <clears throat> the target given is based on Elliott wave theory which forecasts market trends by identifying extremes in investor psychology along with price highs and lows. According to the analyst, Bitcoin will rebound from support around $11,094, or $11,094, leaving room at least one leg higher towards $12,916 and then $13,971. This could complete a V-wave count from July, producing a short-term top or consolidation. Potentially, the analyst suggests that this could be the first leg of a five-wave count. This would mean that any retracement from 12916 to the 13971 levels presents a buying opportunity as after the consolidation period, price could once again resume higher unless it goes below the previous low of $9,084. 
The note suggests a short-term top at 10,791. Goldman Sachs has taken an increasing interest in the cryptocurrency market after bashing it for a long time. As Cointelegraph reported in the last month, it has gone from looking at the potential of launching its own virtual token to making hires to accelerate the program. So, but I just, I don't know, Elliott Wave Theory. And I mean, I'm not big into TA. Um, Ansel Lindner's got a really good argument as to why TA does work and why it, it does matter. And uh, I have a I have a lot of respect for Ansel, so I, I definitely am, am listening to him. But you know, since I'm not a trader, and if I was, all I would do is lose my satoshis. That's why I don't trade because I, I I'm not going to be any good at it. But you know, a lot of people that are you know technical on the on the TA side, um, there's a lot of poo pooment on the Elliott waves thing, and it I just for some reason I kind of find it odd that Goldman Sachs is is uh, uses it as a tool for this. Not that that really means anything, but yeah, you know, there it is. So Goldman Sachs is being bullish on Bitcoin. So I guess that's bullish. Uh, Jania Swador from Cointelegraph is writing a couple of hours ago that 10 global enterprises looking to issue their own cryptos. Now, this is just a rundown of, I put this in here because I need to highlight the fact that we're coming into the phase, I believe, that we're coming into a phase of industrial strength shit coinery. And this sort of uh, this list sort of kind of bears that out a little bit. Obviously, Facebook, obviously, JP Morgan Chase is in this list, but here we get into some other ones. Walmart, I reported on that one. Air Asia is yet another. Mitsubishi UFJ Financial Group, or MUFG. <laughs> we do a lot of memes with that. <clears throat> Arius Intel Corp. Amazon, obviously, Tencent, obviously, Google, obviously, and Rakuten. Okay, so it it gets get strapped in and prepared for an another altcoin market, but this one is is has industrial sized legs. Okay, it's not just again, and I, I said this before, it's not just some homeless person who was yanked off the street, put into a bikini, and turned into the chief financial officer of an ICO that literally got oh, you know, tens of millions of dollars for effectively nothing. And I can't even remember the name of that. That was, if I remember right, that was Vortex and Tone Vase was talking to this woman. And she was like, yeah, just a week ago, I was homeless. And she's in this bikini, you know, and they're at some kind of shit coin show and they're interviewing this poor, this poor lass and just I'm like everything out of her mouth was just I know it was nails on a chalkboard for both of these guys, but especially for Vase. And I, I like this was, I think, last year or the year before it was it was it had to be the year before because it was in, in the ICO hype. Um, I asked him how he could keep a straight face in that interview because of what she was saying. And of course his reply was that it was very, very difficult. All right. So this shit's going to happen again, except instead of homeless people being pulled off the street to be inserted as CFO of an ICO shit coin circus is going to be Walmart and air Asia and Amazon and Google. So we're going to go through the cycle again, except this time these people are behemoths. I don't know what it's going to look like, there's no prediction anybody can make. 
at this point that I think would be credible enough to say that they know exactly what's going on because that is, this is just going to get weird. Okay. Oh God. And Coinbase delists Zcash in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Martin writing for Coin Telegraph this morning. United Kingdom-based customers of Coinbase are reportedly being informed that the exchange will be dropping support for the privacy-focused Zcash as of August the 26, 2019. The same does not appear to apply to United States or European Union customers, however, prompting speculation on the reasoning behind the move. The communication sent being sent to customers gives a number of options on how to proceed. <laughs> Don't buy shit coins in the first place. Option one, any Zcash held on Coinbase can be converted into any other cryptocurrency on the exchange. Option two, simply send the Zcash to an external wallet or another exchange. Failing either of these options being carried out, any Zcash still held on the exchange by the August 26th deadline will be liquidated into GBP, the Pound. The uh, the Zcash wallet will then be removed from the Coinbase account. The developer of Zcash Electronic or Electric Coin Company confirmed the news on Twitter, but was quick to point out that this issue was limited to Coinbase customers. "Quote to preempt speculation, we confirm that Zcash is 100% compatible with UK regulations and KYC AML requirements." Sorry, privacy whatever, uh, st stating that no other exchanges in the UK were effective. The move drove many to speculate on the reasons behind it. UK-based Bitcoin entrepreneur Al Alistair Milne tweeted that delisting was likely a precondition to Coinbase getting access to the UK faster payment system, i.e., it wasn't a regulatory requirement, but a banking one, he suggested. Coinbase has been expanding its customer base rapidly as of late, adding 8 million new users in the past year. Ah, oh, God, those poor souls. Meanwhile, Zcash recently forked to create a new blockchain network dubbed Ycash. Yeah, I'm not even going to get into that. So, yeah, privacy and Zcash, but fully KYC AML. Ah, uh, uh-huh. Yeah. No, just don't shitcoin. It'd be easier on everybody if you just didn't shitcoin. Cointelegraph's Marie Juliet is also writing, U.S. Department of Commerce offering six-figure salary to crypto expert. And this was also this morning. The United States Department of Commerce is looking to hire computer scientists specializing in blockchain and identity management. According to a job listing from August the 9th, the federal agency is seeking someone with at least one year of specialized experience in developing blockchain infrastructure and conducting research into blockchain technologies, crypto ledgers, and crypto contracts. Ugh. The Department of Commerce listing hints at the future hires duties and responsibilities in general terms, revealing only that they will be tasked with research and development into potentially disruptive technologies at the department's information technology laboratory. It notes that the candidate's role will include a focus on the cybersecurity capabilities and requirements necessary for the successful implementation of emerging technologies. Yet in its outline of the experience required of candidates, the listing indicates that identity management in connection with blockchain will apparently be the particular focus for the role. Applicants should have experience with, quote, 
national and global identity management programs and identity tokens, and all standards and national and international standards bodies developing identity management, blockchain, and identity token interoperability standards, end quote. The appointment is for a short-term vacancy, not to exceed exceed one year, at a salary of up to $166,500 U.S., yeah, that's right. They're going to pay a guy to sit in a chair researching shit chains, $166,000, and then he's got a skedaddle, or she, whatever, whoever gets it. Ugh. The April Cointelegraph reported that the United States federal government is expected to raise its blockchain spending to $123.5 million by 2020 and, and over one, uh, an over 1,000% increase as compared with the $10.7 million it spent in 2017. In June, the United States National Telecommunications and Information Administration, which forms part of the Department of Commerce, reached out for feedback on blockchain policy as officials forecast an increasing focus on the technology in coming years, the Department of Commerce has been responding to developments in the blockchain sector since 2016. So, uh, triple digits. Not bad for a 10-year-old industry. I mean, seriously. Industry's 10 years old, and somebody's going to sit in a chair doing shit work for $166,000. Not that it's not hard work. It probably will be intensely hard, but it's it's a shit chain. What are you going to do? If they were working on Bitcoin, I could see it, but they're going to be working on oh God. I wonder if he's going to have to touch Civic. Ugh. Okay, New Zealand tax office makes it legal to pay salaries in crypto. Or you should just say Bitcoin. Fixed it for you. This is Coindesk's Daniel Palmer. <clears throat> he is writing as of sometime this morning. New Zealand's tax office, the Inland Revenue Department, the IRD, has made it legal to receive salaries in cryptocurrency and be taxed accordingly. In its August bulletin, the agency published a new ruling under the Income Tax Act in relation to Section RD3 that states that an employee can be paid in salaries and crypto assets as long as the payments are for services performed under an employment contract are for a fixed amount and form a regular part of the employee's remuneration. The crypto assets being paid must also be able to be exchanged for fiat currency and must have the primary purpose of acting like a currency or be pegged to the price of one or more fiat currencies, the IRD states. Crypto assets are are provided as shares for income tax purposes and are received under an employee share scheme. The ruling does not apply. As far as tax goes, salaries paid in crypto assets will be treated as Pay, or sorry, pay, P-A-Y-E, pay as you earn, income payments. These are deducted by the employer and passed on to the tax department. The new ruling, signed on June the 27th by the agency's director of public rulings, Susan Price, will apply for three years from September the 1st, 2019. Previously under New Zealand law, salaries were only payable in, quote, money, <laughs> in quote, effectively the New Zealand dollar. So, that's actually pretty big. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, it's, I, 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 you know me, I don't like shit coins and saying the word crypto does make me cringe a little bit, but adoption, I mean, you got to say it. Um, this is adoption. You got an entire country's tax office that just threw in the towel and says, screw it, pay them in crypto. As long as we get our money, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Um, I think it's, Rather bullish myself. So, of course, 
I'm wrong a lot of the time. <laughs> uh, this one is interesting. This is Daniel Palmer also writing this morning and also for Coindesk, China's central bank close to launching official digital currency. Woo. <clears throat> okay. An official at China's central bank has said the institution is nearing the launch of its digital currency. Speaking at an event in China over the weekend, Mu Chengchen, deputy director of the payments unit at the People's Bank of China, said its researchers have been hard at work since last year to complete the systems needed to support the digital yuan offering and that it is close to being out. The news was reported by Bloomberg on Monday. Since Facebook announced details of its Libra cryptocurrency project in mid-June, China has viewed development of its own digital coin with new urgency. Early in July, the former governor of the PBOC, Zhao Xinhuan, said that Libra poses a threat to payment systems and national currencies. As such, he argued the Chinese government should make good preparations and make the Chinese yuan a stronger currency. Zhao further suggested that commercial entities could be allowed to issue digital wands as Hong Kong allows with its dollar. Mm, This is going to get weird, man. Uh, Around the same time, Wang Zin, head of the research bureau at PBOC, said the central bank has been looking at the Libra situation with high attention and could ramp up development of its own digital currency. In his weekend comments, Mu reiterated that PBOC's digital currency would be a substitute for the M0 or coins and notes in circulation, not M2, which includes bank deposits. The digital currency would boost circulation of the yuan, including internationally, he added. As previously reported, the large number of patents filed by the PBOC relating to its digital currency paint a picture of how it might work. They suggest the work addresses a technology that issues a digital currency, as well as provides a wallet that stores and transacts the asset in an end-to-end fashion. The patents indicate the wallet would store a digital currency issued by the central bank or any authorized central entity that is encrypted like a cryptocurrency with private keys, offers multi-signature security, and is held by users in a decentralized way. At the latest count, there have been 52 patents filed under the name of the Digital Currency Research Lab of the PBOC, with the latest published August the 9th, 2018, having been submitted on March the 26th. 2018. So we just got, we just went from industrial strength shit coinery to militarized shit coinery in a day. If you think about it. So that's the next play after all the industries get finished with their ICO shit coinery. Now, and it's going to be lockstep in with, uh, very large militarized governments. That's where this is going. I don't know what it looks like. Again, just with the industrial scale uh, crap coins, I don't know where th- what this is going to look like either. I mean, we could conjecture all day long, but you know, where the rubber meets the road, we probably got to wait for any of these things to drop. And with all the stuff going on in the world, there's always going to be a section of people in some government that really trust their government and equates their government with the people of that country. Like when somebody, you know, like somebody said, or if I say something like, I think, you know, the United States should have been pulled out of all the wars and have somebody look at me and say, you don't like the United States government. Therefore you don't like America. No, that that's not it. I, I, 
I really appreciate the creation of the United States of America. What I don't appreciate is the absolute chicanery that we're seeing fall out of this, have seen fall out of it. And hopefully it will open up a lot more people's eyes as to get as far away from these buffoons as possible. And that goes with any country, Germany, China, Argentina, Brazil, name it, name a country, South, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia. They're all fiends, man. They're all fiends. But there's always going to be enough people in the world that buy into that BS that they will buy the digital wand. They will use FedCoin. They will use Libra. And it's just, it's kind of heart-wrenching to watch that nobody or that very few people refuse to just wake up from this dumpster fire that we find ourselves in in life. But, you know, on a positive note, and we got to do that. We got to remain positive. Adoption is happening. This isn't going to go away. It's not a fad. You, we were right. For all the people that held out, or all the people that got scared shitless and still held on, you were right. There's your morning roundup. Vitals. I got them. We got Bitcoin at 11,403. The low, that's, that's, I'm trying to figure, where is the low? God, it's hard to read these little numbers, man. It looks like the low is going to be over at, uh, in a really tight red, Simex at 11,369. And a lot of the rest of them have it really, really closely uh, inside of 11,380s, like, 383, 386, 385, 383. So that's, yeah, man, it's tight, dude. This is, this is as tight as I've seen it in a long time. Transactions are down, uh, 230 or 283,713 were made over the last 24 hours. 11,821 transactions averaging on the hour with only 891,000 BTC being sent in that 24-hour period. That's an average of 37,164 BTC per hour with an average transaction value of 3.14 and a median of 0.015 or about $173. So that's not the, the 300 that I like. Block time seems pretty pretty. Nine minutes and 48 seconds, so it looks nominal. Uh, it looks like 0.26 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis, and 38.7 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've lost 5% of the hash rate over the last 24 hours, bringing us to just below 75 exahashes a second. And the last GitHub commit was done sometime this morning on the 12th from left to right. Ethereum is at 2.1222. Bcash is at 3.32. Litecoin is at 86, continuing its plummet. Yeah, it's weird Litecoin news going on. I'm, I'm not going to get into any of it, but there's just, I don't know, man. It's been feeling strange. Litecoin's been around for like ever, but somehow or another, I've seen a lot of chatter on Bitcoin Twitter uh, getting into Charlie Lee shit and, and Litecoin and sort of being ripped apart, you know, by dogs out there. Anyway, Whatever, it's still a shit coin. BSV is at 143.59. Ethereum Classic is at five dollars and seventy-eight cents, and our good old little buddy Dogecoin is 
trucking along pretty much the same where it always is 0.0029 USD 30,000 transactions per second or per over the last 24 hours uh, does not come close to BSV or Bcash and uh, not even beaten out Litecoin. Poor Doge. All right, mem, mempool stuff. Well, let's see what we got going on. Um, mempool's pretty packed. Uh, looks like 16, I don't know, man, 16 megabytes, something like that. Uh, there are 17 blocks waiting to be mined. All of them are basically full <laughs> and all of the blocks that are to be mined and are, have been mined are all over one megabyte. So there's your, uh, vital statistics. I don't know, man. Today's probably a really good day for the clash. Should I go now? If I go, there will be 
Okay, so Daily Trainwrecked is exactly what you think it is. It's the Roger Ver tweet. Let's just do it. My theory for why Jack is so irrationally hot for Lightning Network is because he has slash had a romantic relationship with Starkness, the CEO of Lightning. Preston Byrne responds directly to that tweet by saying, she has a JD from Harvard, taught tech law at Yale, and runs one of the hottest startups in Bitcoin. What do you do again? Man, Preston really burned Roger at the stake on that one, man. He really did. And it was spot on because this kind of shit, th- that's bullshit. I'm sorry, man, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out what possessed Roger to do this because one of the things about Roger that I, st- I still have this one little thing I think in his history, he's only deleted one tweet. As far as I know, he doesn't delete tweets like ever, except for like one time. I wonder if he's going to delete this one because this one is so far outside the bounds for anybody that it, I mean, this is clearly stepping over the line. So what's causing this? I mean, did he just finally snap because he's just watching his, his handiwork just uh, um, he's done nothing but make a mess. Bitcoin doesn't care. It never does, but he's made a mess for himself. He's made a mess for a whole shitload of other people. So as was the conjecture, not terribly long ago on this show, I was uh, relating the conjecture that it's possible that he stepped down as CEO of Bitcoin.com and got, uh, was it Stephen Rust or Stefan Rust to step in so he could be executive chairman um, is that he wants to pivot back into Bitcoin and he needs, he can't be the CEO if he does that. Now let's say that that's true for, for a second. He kind of, if he would have to hold Bcash because if he sold it, he would wreck the lives of everybody who bought into his line of crap. So he's, he's pinned in there. It's, not outside the realm of possibility that he could be sued because he sold all of his Bcash stacks. So he's stuck with this smoldering bag. He can't do anything with it. He's watching his crap coin just fall off a cliff for the last two straight years. And he's responsible for, he's responsible for all, a whole bunch of people who believe him and made their belief material by buying that worthless pile. He's stuck. I think I think Roger's kind of snapping cuz this this remark is unfounded. Can't find any any evidence whatsoever that Elizabeth Stark had any kind of relationship whatsoever with Jack and vice versa. There's there there's no evidence here of this happening. And I wonder if he could possibly get in trouble for this one. I mean, he's calling into question. He's calling both Jack Dorsey and Elizabeth Stark's, you know, credibility in, into question. And I mean, it, this is, this is bad. This is as bad as I've ever seen it from Roger or anybody else. I've seen a lot of people say a lot of stupid shit, myself included, but I've never seen anything this bad before. 
So there's your smoldering pile and it's over there in the corner. And if you hadn't heard about this, make sure you go reply to Roger Rivera's tweet and let him know what you think, man. Okay, with all that, uh, let's let's end this with a, a really terrible joke. I start a new job in Seoul next week. I hope it is going to be a good Korea move. It's just cringeworthy levels of bad, man. Like, and and you know me, I love a bad joke, dude. And that is one of the worst that I've ever heard. Okay, so. This show is short today. It's uh, just passing like 48 minutes of recording. Um, And I I apologize for that, but, you know, eh, this morning was this morning was this morning, and there's not a whole hell of a lot I can do about it. And I don't want to wait too much longer to get this out. Um, It's the start of another week, and it's going to be weird. Uh, We've got weird things happening all over the place, like, you know, Roger's losing his mind. Charlie Lee is – and Litecoin is being – uh, raked over the coals it's shit coins are going to shit coin. We've got China moving in the military into Hong Kong uh, and Argentina are the Argentinian peso just lost a quarter of its value overnight. Actually within, I think it was within three hours. So it wasn't even overnight. It just <laughs> was with it in the span of having a dinner at a restaurant. Uh, anyway. Um, so it's going to be weird. Uh, if you are set this way for whatever religion you practice, pray for all those, uh, the Hong Kongers, because I don't think this is going to go well. And it's probably already, shit's probably already breaking loose as we speak because they were sending in a massive column of military trucks. It wasn't like, it wasn't like a small convoy guys. The pictures that I saw looked like it was a, you know, a half a mile of trucks and I couldn't see the end of it. Uh, go, and they're all military, and they're all going into Hong Kong, and they're all coming out of China. It, China's, I, I think, I think they're done with this whole up, you know, uprising. And I think a lot of people are going to die. Uh, I also think a lot of people are going to flee, and when they do, they're going to lose whatever possessions that they did have, which is really sad. Hopefully, they, they you know, were able to get some of their money out in whatever form, and I don't care, I'm not going to say buy Bitcoin at this point, but I hope they were able to get some of their wealth out because this is not, this is not going to end well for anybody. It's not also, I don't think it's going to end well for China. I think it's going to be a lot worse for China than they think. I don't think this is going to be an easy suppression. And I think there's going to be a lot of dead Chinese military. I, I don't know. I mean, I hope it doesn't come to that. I really don't. But if you, like I said, if you have a religion and whatever God you pray to, pray for the Hong Kongers. If you don't have any religion whatsoever, at least, you know, send, you know, you can send positive, uh, positive thoughts or positive energy out into the universe. I, I believe in that too. So that's completely valid. Um, anyway, strap in for a really weird week, y'all, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and. And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.